Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode six of the Five Fighters podcast. I'm your host, Rob Serra. Joining me this week will be my very first mentor in the fire department, retired Captain Mike McCaffrey. We'll also hear from everybody's favorite cooking correspondent, my daughter, Frankie. This week's roll call is dedicated to firefighter Daniel Serra, Avenging Company 216, who made the ultimate sacrifice on 9-11-01. Captain America. May he rest in peace. This past week, members of my academy class met for our 20th reunion. We entered the fire academy on July 15, 2001, and officially graduated on November 1, 2001. It was a great night. I didn't recognize all the names, but I certainly recognized all the faces. There may have been a little bit less hair and a little bit more belly, uh, but it was really great to see everybody. The first experience I'd like to share with you all is about my trip into the city that night. Uh, I decided to take the train, so that required two trains and three stations. And and if you've heard me talk about this in the past, I've always said that you learn everything you need to know about society when you travel in a wheelchair. I wasn't traveling in my wheelchair that night. I was in my mobility scooter, but my point remains the same. Because uh, on my entire trip into the city, not a single person offered me any bit of assistance. And I'm not saying this as a complaint. Uh, I'm saying this as a commentary uh, on society. You know, there was a time uh, when we did look to help other people. You you know, I wasn't always the nicest person in the world, uh, for sure. But when I saw a woman struggling with a a stroller down the subway steps, I always offered to help. Or if, if somebody needed assistance with a wheelchair or even just needed a door held or anything uh, that I considered common courtesy um, or, or doing the right thing, uh, I did it, you know, and I, st- I still try to whenever I can. And I just found it odd that in this entire trip uh, on both trains and all these stations and, and all the times I went through doors and had to, had to push buttons and lift my scooter on and off the train, uh, a couple times the conductor himself was standing within inches of me while I was moving the scooter onto the train and, and neither time did they offer to help. Um, and that really struck me, you know, um, I don't know what's, what's going on out there. I I don't know why we're not looking out for each other or looking to help. Um, oddly enough, uh, on nine 11, I, I took the same route to the city and I was in my, my class A uniform and not enough people could help me that day. You know, anytime I, I had to do anything, whether it was putting the scooter onto the train or whatever, somebody jumped up and offered to help me. Uh, you know, which which is also striking. You know, I shouldn't be have to wear a uniform for someone to, to want to offer me a hand. Um, but whatever, I guess that's the world we live in now, right? So when I finally got there, I was definitely not in the best mood. And I was definitely in some pain. But after a few minutes, somebody approached me. And I didn't recognize him. But he introduced himself. Uh, I won't share his name. But he told me that a few years ago, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, And a few months after that, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And it was 9-11 connected. And he just wanted to thank me. And and he said that the, the work that I've done has helped him. And he really appreciated it. Initially, that made me feel really good, right? I mean, who doesn't want to hear that the work that they do makes a difference or that it helps someone, uh, even if it's just one dude, right? Uh, That should make you feel good. 
But then I, I spoke to another guy and he told me about the cancer that he had. And then another guy walked over and, and just casually mentioned that he also had cancer. And, I, you know, I should have been prepared to hear this stuff, right? Because this is what I do. But for some reason I wasn't or I didn't want to be. And, and I got sad. Um, you know, it should have been a happy night, but I, I just, I got, I got overwhelmingly sad and I left there feeling sad, uh, knowing that so many of the guys that I went to the academy with, um, are dealing with so many illnesses just from our first day, you know, on the job and, and, you know, not that life is fair, but you know, that's, that's a bad break, uh, as Lou Gehrig said. But then I woke up the next day. And, and I felt better, you know, I felt glad, uh, glad that I spoke up when I did glad that I had people in my life, uh, encouraging me to call bullshit when I saw it, uh, whether I was a 21 year old proby or a 41 year old dad, um, when you see it, uh, you gotta call it right. Uh, so my next guest is the first person uh, to let me know that it was okay to call it when I saw it. So, without further ado, here he is, retired captain, Mike McCaffrey. Joining me this week is one of my good friends uh, and one of my early mentors, retired FDY captain, Mike McCaffrey. Mike, how you doing? Good, very good. How you doing, Rob? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, so I wanted to mix it up this week. Um, you know, the last two episodes were pretty intense as, uh, as I know, you know, you're into all that kind of stuff. Um, so I want to mix it up a bit this week and bring in somebody, uh, who I met on my first day at engine 216. Uh, the first person I met when I knocked on the door, you answered the door. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, you were sitting on the house watch. I and you made me stand there awkwardly while you drew me, <laughs> uh, which I still have hanging in my garage. Uh, this very poorly drawn picture of me, but uh, I, think, I think it was a pretty good drawing, actually. Um, well, history will will say otherwise. <laughs> um, you know, when when I uh, track it down, I'll I'll put it up for the uh, viewers and let them vote. Um, but Mike is not only the first person I met at Engine 216, but he's the first artist that I met uh, on the fire department. Mike is an excellent painter. Um, so as I said earlier, I want to mix in all the different types that it takes to make a firehouse. And uh, Mike is certainly a different type. Um, so let's start out in 216, man. Um, you went there straight from the academy, right? Yes. Uh, back in, uh, 1997, I got, guess I got there. 97. And like most of my other guests, you started out with the police department, correct? Yes. Yes, I did. So you were part of that whole, uh, hiring freeze that Andy was part of where they didn't hire firefighters for like six or seven years or something crazy. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I was a part of that actually. I, uh, well, if you got a 97, that's about, that's the, that's the same test. Yeah, I guess so. I, I just, I don't really recall the, the hiring freeze. I just remember counting the days to leave the police department to go to the uh, <laughs> FD. Well, I was just going to say, you were probably busy fighting crime and you didn't have yeah. time to worry about uh, fighting fires at that time. Yeah. Uh, all right. So well, how did you like 216? That's I, I, I've wanted to ask you that because I have uh, my own feelings, um, but I always felt like there were guys there, um, people like you, um, who made the place very enjoyable to work. How did you, how did you feel working there? Um, I loved it. It was a little far from home, but uh, right, that, exactly. there were a lot of uh, senior men there to learn from and, yeah. Great guys. I mean, it was it was a great place. Um, when I got there, I was looking to play football for the fire department. And uh, Danny, sir, who we both worked with, uh, I worked with. Um, he was you know, the, uh, the captain of the football team. So it was it was a good place for me to be. 
Yeah, uh, for you listeners, uh, I didn't work with Danny, sir. He was the first firefighter killed on 9-11. Um, I happened to be the first firefighter assigned to Engine 216 after 9-11. So uh, I didn't work with Danny, but I always felt a, a sort of connection to him since I you know, was put in his roster spot and into his group, uh, which wasn't common to put a probie in the chauffeur's group, but uh, that's what our captain did. Um, all right. And and I guess my real question is, what what uh, what did you like about me? Because you seem to take to me uh, when not many other guys there really did. Uh, you know, I was a probie and shaved head, looking little freak. And you uh, right away, you you seem to uh, to warm up to me. What was what was that about? You sent something. Well, <laughs> yeah, you were weird. I could tell right away. <laughs> no, I'd like you. Um, no, when you got there, I was busting your chops a bit by telling you to stand still and, and draw you. And you did. And I thought that was cool. You, you know, you, uh, you accepted that pretty easily. And I, I remember uh, I was talking early on. I think one night we were hanging Christmas lights or something like that. And we got to talking about Walt Whitman and books and, you know, and different kinds of things. Like the kind of conversation you didn't always have in the firehouse. They certainly exist, but you didn't always have it. So we had a connection kind of with, with that. We were both into sports. Um, you know, it was it was easy to like you. For me, I think other guys for, didn't for like you. too much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no it, for me it was easy to like you and, and we right off the bat we had fun conversations yeah i i thought so too uh so much that mike invited me to live in the apartment in his house um which i did for several years um some of the best times i think i've had were living in that tiny little apartment with my crazy roommates um but one thing that you always you taught me like fairly from the beginning um, was to call bullshit. You know, like a lot of guys would tell you to keep your mouth shut. Um, you know, especially when you're a probie, you're not really looked looked at to to say much. But you always encouraged me to to question things and and speak my mind when I had to. Um, why? Well, I know why you told me that, but but what made you? feel that way like did something specifically happened in the fire department to make you feel that way um or um no not not the fire department i mean possibly just from my uh six years experience on the police department you know you you saw a lot of things and when something didn't look right it usually wasn't right so you know you, you at least had to question things and uh I think you'd be crazy not to, especially in this crazy environment, this crazy world now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember we had a covering boss and I was, I was detailed to the truck and I was still a probie and I had the can and we were the fast truck. And I remember saying to him, you know, we're staying, it was one of those, you know, the yearly, we'd lose a whole block in Greenpoint fires, um, you know, all the row frames. And I'm standing there and I'm looking down, you know, five or six houses down and I see smoke pushing out of the roof. So I told the captain, I'm like, Cap, there's, there's smoke pushing out of that roof, you know, five stories down. And he just looked at me and he told me to shut up. And then lo and behold, a half hour later, they give it a 1075 in that building, you know. Um, so that, for me, that kind of cemented it. I was like, well... I'm not going to shut up if we're going to, you know, if I'm yeah. right. <laughs> See a fire yeah. going on. Right. Uh, like that's, but that's that something they, they teach in the fire academy, right? Like even, even if you are a probie and you see something, you're going to say something. And if the guy tells you to shut up and it was nothing, then, then so be it. But if it was something, then, you know, then, then he looks good. Right. So no, without a doubt. Well, he didn't get the spot, so <laughs> I guess there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason for that. Um, so, also, so so people out there know Mike uh, went down to Washington with me back in 2015. He was uh, actually one of the people who fired me up to go. Um, you're also the person who introduced me to Diane, who I had on a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
which is a whole nother cause that seems like we're getting into. Um, so pack your bags. It's another cause, but it's it's not all that different, right? It's uh, the, the two things to me really seem to go hand in hand. You know, they do. Trying to, to get acknowledgement over <laughs> health effects from something and being ignored, like in both situations, we, we were just being ignored. Right. I mean, but with the 9-11 stuff, I feel like they weren't really ignoring us. It was more like, it was like that guy telling me to shut up, you know, it was more just, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The air, we lied about the air, but uh, you know, you'll be fine. It, it like, I don't know. I always felt like they acknowledged it, but also wouldn't take care of us at the same time. It was weird. Well, they acknowledge it on 9-11, right? We used right. to point out all the hypocritical politicians with their posts saying how much they love first responders and how much they love firefighters. And then when we're asking for a bill, you know, to, to, uh, for our health to take care of us, they, they did, a lot of them did ignore it, voted against it plenty of times. So many politicians that are still running around today voted against it. And people forget about that. And these same guys, they still, or, or, or ladies, they still post all these things on 9-11. You know, well, love the first responders when we know right. they're full of baloney. Well, you see, I, I have trouble with, with the bills in the past. Like in 2019, that was an up and down bill. It wasn't attached to anything. There was no pork. It was, you know, Mitch McConnell wasn't trying to sell oil. It was, it was just us. And that was it. So the people who voted no on that, they they can go scratch. You know, they, they, as far as I'm concerned, they can't say never forget ever again. Rand Paul, Mike Lee, you know, the, the usual yeah, players. Yeah. But in those past bills, I feel like they made it murky because they attached it to, to oh, yeah. you know, yeah. the omnibus bill. And they made it, you know, so that they gave all the people who voted no and out because they could say, well, I wasn't voting no on that. I just didn't want to do whatever this other bullshit was. So I, I feel yeah. like. In 2019, we really found out who the real, you know, the people were uh, who were against us. Um, and it was no surprise that it was Rand Paul and Mike Lee. But here we are. Um, <laughs> guess we fired up, man. I don't know. I know it gets you fired up. Sure. So, <laughs> it's uh, a big to, uh, to get fired up over. I mean, we've had a million discussions about this and. And, and now it seems like the same thing is going on with the bunker gear. Right. It's, it's, uh, it feels like money always wins when it comes to uh, firefighter safety, right? It's always, I mean, money usually wins in every aspect in life. But for some reason, they just see, they, and I think I said this last week, like, I think they do it because they know they can get away with it because firefighters, I mean, most firefighters in this country do it for free. Right. They're volunteers. Yeah. So so they know that these are the type of people who want to go into burning buildings and they want to go out and help people. So, yeah, they're going to strap on the gear and they're going to go do it and it, regardless of of the danger it poses to them. So they know that and they use that you know, to their advantage. And they they also know that that they can turn us against each other, you know, which I think is something Diane has faced. You know, it's very easy to, to paint someone out to be you see it in every firehouse. You know, one person doesn't like someone and next thing you know, we don't like that person, you know, so it gets it gets very uh, it's very easy for them to control the narrative, I feel like. Sure. Um, sure. Especially since, you know, more more of us aren't aren't questioning it or, or speaking out. Um, you well, know, people, a lot of people don't even know about it. I mean, I, I go back to the firehouse and I talk about it all the time. And guys give me a, a look like it's the first time they've ever heard it before. And it's not being discussed in a, in a lot of firehouses. And, and it really should be. No. I, and neither was, was 9-11 illnesses no. either. <laughs> no. I, I remember in, in, in 2015, we had a press conference and I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a lieutenant at the time who got on after 9-11. But he had like 13 or 14 years or whatever he had. And he said, what is this press conference for? And I, I told him, I was like, you know. For all the guys getting sick from 9 11. He's like, who's getting sick? What, what do you mean? There's, I'm sure there's like five or six guys in your firehouse right now. There's hundreds have died. Like, 
nobody was even talking about it. That's why nobody was showing up. And I think there's a reason that nobody talks about it because th- that information needs to come from the top. You know, they have no problem telling us, sending down, uh, you know, the unions will send down all these pamphlets and info for, for barbecues and all this other stuff. But the important stuff is, hey, uh, you know, take your bunker pants off because they might be giving you testicular cancer or, you know, like, so I don't know. I don't know why the guys, uh, I, I think partially is, is what you're saying is that they just don't talk about it. But I also think there's a reason that that people aren't giving them the information to talk about. Uh, oh, without a doubt. I, I think uh, that that information wasn't going around. It wasn't coming down from, like you said, you know, from, from uh, the administrative part of the job. It wasn't coming down from the unions. And if it was, it was really in like small portions and you know, right. no urgency behind it. Right. Um, That's yeah, a good word. Yeah, sure. You, you wonder why that is, right? Right. It seemed like uh, it always, to me, it always seemed a pretty uh, important topic that first that we will lie to, right? They told us that the air was okay. Um, we worked, we did our thing. Guys were getting sick. We realized how bad the air was down there. And that really should have come out in a full force. And, and it just, it just didn't. And guys talked about it, but it just kind of went away a lot of times. And it yeah. really, it took people like you and Ray Pfeiffer and, and, and a whole bunch of others to really get the ball rolling on it. Um, I, I remember distinctly having arguments with, with people that I thought were my friends at the time, you know, that they were like angry at me for, for calling the city out. Like, like basically like I was complaining at the city. I'm like, you don't see the connection between how they're treating us in contract negotiations after 9-11. Remember that contract negotiation was filthy, you know, uh, they, 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 firefighters were on a, on a pedestal after 9-11. We all know that, especially in New York. And we all, what people don't know is I think that day we had, it was like three or four years that we had still not had a contract on 9-11. So um, when we were going for that contract, they did everything they can to make us look bad. And that's when, you know, I could say this because I have firsthand knowledge of it. Police officers were being offered vacation days to lock up firefighters, which never made sense to me because we negotiate the same contract. I could they not see what what's going on. But also, this is something I've touched on. And the big reason why you're here is they instituted the zero tolerance policy. And in my in my mind, that is the biggest disservice that I, th- I think that's a bigger disservice than the lie about the air quality. Because you and I both know that we were going down there anyway, right? You weren't stopping firemen from getting down to ground zero to look for for their friends. Right. Not going to happen. So, you know, could we have, have slowed down the, you know, gotten us proper gear, slowed down, you know, the mad rush to get down there, pulled back once it became a recovery? Sure, we could do all that. But we were going there anyway. But I think the biggest disservice is, is when Bloomberg came in and started firing all the guys that we're dealing with the, the emotional trauma. Um, you know, the studies that came out of, out of Oklahoma city said, you're going to see an uptick in drug use. You're going to see an uptick, uptick in divorce rates, drinking, you're going to have emotional problems. And so what is, what does the, the FDMY do? They just start firing guys, you know, guys with, with 20, 30 years on the job who, who lost 30 of their best friends in one day uh, are getting fired for smoking a joint on the first day of their vacation. You know, up to the guys who had, you know, hard drug problems, you know, which, you know, I think there's a distinct difference between smoking a joint and and shooting heroin. But there's a there, the cause is is pretty much the same, you know. Well, well the uh, the zero tolerance, right, that that's when they started the random drug testing. Right. I think in right. 2004. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Somewhere. around. Um, there. Yeah. Yeah. That, but that's I mean, the exact time when they said we were going to start seeing those issues. Yeah. No, without a doubt that uh, they, that was something I, I, I guess it came from Bloomberg, but it uh, something that didn't really fit the situation. Right. I think it, it basically got spurred on by a fight happened at a firehouse. Right. A couple of guys were drinking and and then they said, OK, let's test everybody for pot. Um, randomly, because these two guys were drinking, right? Which, of course, they deserve to be to, to get in trouble or, or whatever. 
Um, but then for them to say, okay, now we're going to do random testing. And if you come up for smoking a joint, we're going to fire you, right? That, that to me always seemed ridiculous. Right. Like I, my issue isn't with the random drug testing itself. It's the reaction to the failed drug tests. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and, and, you know, the more I think about it, the zero tolerance policy also coincided with the holes the drug of fight in the beginning um, when, when James himself was was fighting with Bloomberg and the city to get his, his cancer treatments paid for and his, and his pain meds paid for. So I think there may be a connection there that they basically were trying to wash their hands of the situation and say, you know, all right, you got a problem. You, you do drugs that we got causation to fire you or whatever. And, and they kind of lumped their, They kind of lumped him himself in as a drug addict. Well, yeah, not kind yeah, of, yeah. he called him a drug addict. So I think that that's the angle that they were, trying to go to wash themselves of the financial um, the financial situation that that they created by telling us the air was safe to breathe. You know, it wasn't Bloomberg. It was Giuliani administration and 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 the Bush administration. But you're still the boss, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yep. Uh, did you ever I, I know your father was a firefighter who passed away from cancer. Did you ever think that it was possibly because of his gear or well no he never no. wore punker gear old, old timer smoked two packs of cigarettes for, <laughs> for 20 years or however long right. i mean no there's certainly not not connected right, right. well and it's important to, to point that out to people like we're not we understand that people die of cancer right um but the situation that we're seeing is you have non-smokers you know, who aren't seeing much fire duty, um, getting cancer or dying from cancers, um, that they probably weren't genetically inclined to get. And the trait that links all these people is the gear that they wear, right. With all these chemicals in it, it, it makes sense to me. Um, yeah. but, but, you know, it is important to point out that, you know, we, we still lose people, um, the old fashioned way. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I remember when this was first starting coming out, um, you know, we in New York, we go to a, a decent amount of fires. So you, you take in a decent amount of smoke so you can you can understand that guys will get sick and you know get cancer at some point um, down the road. But like you said, there were plenty of firefighters all over the country and I'm sure all over the world that are wearing this gear, not going to a lot of fires. And and they're getting sick, right? At, at high numbers. And it's got to be something. You know, I think it's it's convenient for them to say, oh, well, it's because of the fires. Um, but if you're not going to a lot of fires and you're wearing this gear every day, yeah, you know, it's gonna that could exactly be the culprit. And I, I I don't know if you saw, I tweeted out uh um a report from the CDC from 2016 the other day. And in, in that report, they found that the numbers of, of, of firefighter cancer were going up. And their, their claim was that the, it was probably from uh, burning asbestos while fighting fires. And I'm sitting there thinking, really? First of all, I mean, if you're at an active fire, most of the time you have a mask on, right? But how much asbestos is really out there? I mean, I know you and I, we took a big hit of asbestos on 911, but is there really that much that it would be causing cancers in all these firefighters around the country that really don't even see fire duty? Like, come on, that can't be what you're going with. It, it just doesn't no, add it, up. It's it's convenient for them to to say it's asbestos or it's uh you know it's it's smoke or, or whatever. Right. Um. They they don't want to. At least certain people don't want to say that it's the gear causing that. Um, because there's a lot of money behind the the gear, right? And these contracts, so they don't want to lose these these big contracts, um, and they probably don't want to make a new product that doesn't have all these uh, cancer causing agents, you know? Right, because that's going to cause money in research, development, testing. You know, I mean, you could understand the reasons why, but none of them seem good enough to me when it comes to our health. Um, 
especially the health of people who are risking themselves for other people. Like you shouldn't sure. should be the last people that get screwed over by the government. But it just always seems to be like I'm going to keep coming back to it. It's because we accept it and we allow it. Uh, you know, people treat you the way you allow them to. And, you know, I don't know what goes on in these union meetings, um, you know, especially with the IAFF, who, who has new leadership now. You know, he seems to be uh, all over this. So that's good. But that in the past, what, what I mean, how much how much are the lives of your brothers and sisters worth? You know, is it worth uh, a steak dinner or whatever? You know, I. I I can't understand that level of thinking. Maybe it's because they wore a suit for too long and got detached from the firehouse. Uh, that could certainly be it. Sure. You know, um, and I don't know. I think there's something that goes on in Washington that changes people. Um, not for the better. Um, but I want to, I want to get more into the mental health aspect. Um, it's something, you know, I don't know how much you want to talk about, but I know it's something that you've struggled with. You know, you lost your best friend on 9-11, um, which I watched uh, how you dealt with that. Um, you know, and and I I know you've seen your share of, of messed up stuff along the way, um, okay, but you, you made it, right? You made it to your retirement. You did your 30-something <laughs> years, and, and you got yourself through it. Um, which I think is something you should be proud of. You know, like I, I saw, you know, the dark turns you took at times, but you always seem to to get yourself out of it. Um, can you share with people, you know, because there are young firefighters listening, you know, um, how you got yourself out of it? Like, how did you, how did you persevere? Especially when I explained the lack of help that we had at the time, um, especially in 04, 05. Um, you know, <laughs> you do whatever you can, I guess, right? We were all dealing with things back then, and that, and it was tough. You were either going to work uh, in the firehouse, or you were going down to ground zero to dig, or you were going to a funeral. And in between, you were probably drinking with your friends to deal with all the, you know, the stuff that was going on. Um, I didn't have a family at the time, you know, so it was uh, it was easy to go to a funeral. And then after the funeral, you went drinking. Um, and then, you know, that that builds up um, over time. Um, you know, that's uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how how I got through it. Somehow I got through it. Was it uh, talking to people or, or maybe your maybe your art, your painting? Yeah, somewhat. I, I guess it was that's definitely an outlet. Um, but a lot of it was talking. You were talking to your friends. I, I mean, I was in a in a in an interesting situation where all my friends, you know, from some from grade school through high school, we all joined the police department together. Then we all joined the fire department together. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I had a crew of like 10 to 15 people or, or more who were all dealing with the same thing. Um, so, yeah, it was drinking, uh, artwork, a little uh, going to concerts, <laughs> whatever it was, you, uh, you know, you did what you could to get through. Right. But, but you certainly didn't ignore it, which I think a lot of a lot of people we worked with at least tried to ignore it or act like. There wasn't um, anything wrong. Well, what, what were we? Um, well, I'm just saying you you did talk about it. I I mean, you, I remember we had many conversations yeah, we, about we it. Talked about it. Everything we did re revolved around 9/11, pretty much, right? right? For for years. So, um, until you had other things to complain about, <laughs> right? Well, that's what I'm saying. There's always something, you know. Uh, yeah, neither of us went to war, right? Um, at least I don't think you went to war. No. Um, neither of us went to war, but being a firefighter is kind of like you have these little doses of it. It's like you don't go away for a year to three years, you know, to a foreign country, but you go away for 24 hours and you deal with all this intense stuff. And then you come home to your family and you got to 
act like everything is normal, you know, even though you're not getting fired at or whatever, but I think on a small scope, it's it kind of similar, you know? Well, if you just at the World Trade Center, right at the uh, ground zero, um, it wasn't war, but that was an act of war. Sure. And we were certainly on a battlefield and we were digging through that rubble and finding things you, you know, you didn't want to find. Um, and then sure. Yeah. You went home and, and how do you just brush that off? And the way we did it in a very unhealthy way was to drink. Um, you know, of course, over the years, you find healthier ways to deal with it, right? Whether it be through artwork or music or, or exercise, right? I ran a marathon, um, somewhere along the way in there that, that, that took my mind off it for a little bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, for young people today, right? Young firefighters today, they are seeing bad things. Um, when COVID first hit New York, that was, that was tough, especially the EMTs, um, and paramedics, those, <laughs> Those poor people, they, they get paid a lot less than firefighters do, a lot less than cops do. And they do as much work and face as much danger as any of us. And yeah. and those poor guys, how do they deal with that? Right. And I'm sure a lot of it is drinking drugs. Uh, and hopefully there's some healthy ways to get out of that also. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that needs to be addressed is the the suicide rates in EMS, you know, they're pretty high, you know, because, and, and, and I, I, I was an EMT, but I never really worked EMS, but I always felt like it was, it was looked down on. If you, if you talked about having bad thoughts about a, a you know, a, a bad run, you know, um, I guess like you were expected to suck it up as uh finance well, and famously yeah, said. It's just a thing. You're supposed to be a tough guy, right? You're, you're a firefighter, you're a cop, uh, EMT, whatever it is, you're supposed to be a tough guy. You're not supposed to talk about, you know, wow, I just saw some really bad stuff. You know, how do I process that? I, I mean, maybe you have a buddy who'll be like, who'll say, yeah, that, that really stinks. Let's go get a drink, right? And we'll forget about it. I, Always, I mean, that's, right. That's, that's how that works. And and it, the, the problem does go unaddressed. When I was a police officer, I, I worked with several people that took their lives. And and it was afterwards you would say, wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, it's because, it, like you said, it's not really I don't know if it's frowned upon. I think especially today, they'll at least point, point you in the right direction to get help. Um, but it's it's not really addressed, I don't think, or or it's just not. Uh, it's one of those problems they they just hope goes away. Um, I think there's they've made progress over the years, but like you said, I think they they have a problem right now in in EMS, right? Um, I don't know the exact numbers or anything, but uh, it's yeah, it's I mean. Thing. Not to mention the retention rates, you know, the people who leave, uh, go to fire or well, some other career. I mean, right. how they don't get paid. I, I, I don't understand that. I, I worked with those. Uh, I worked alongside them for almost 30 years. And I, I was always amazed at, at what they would do with, with patients and how they would, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that the professionalism and the, uh, the, the passion and, and how do they stay if they're not being, being paid enough to live in the city that they work in? I, I don't know. I, I think I don't know if it's if it's a representation issue because they're in like labor unions, right? They're not in uh, uniformed unions like like we are, um, which I think would help if they were somehow connected with our union. Um, but again, I, th I think this is something that that, that is tolerated. So. It just keeps going. I know, you know, every once in a while, especially at election time, you'll hear a politician talk about EMS pay, but nothing really gets done about it. You know, like now I hear talks about trying to create a new department for EMS. And it's like, well, how is that easier than just paying them and giving them their uniform status and give them give them equal pay? Like what? How is that? How is it easier to start start over 
than to just say, okay, we, you know, here you go. We're sorry that we we've underpaid you for the last 25 years. Now let's, let's get you back on the same scale. You know, I, I don't know. It it doesn't make sense to me. Um, Another thing that gets me fired up Um, because it would seem like the money that it would take to create those new departments could be used to actually just give them a raise. Um, And also, take care of the ones uh, who are battling 9-11 illnesses and running out of sick leave and getting forced off the job because the city doesn't want to give them any more sick leave. Um, so they're forcing them out on regular disability, uh, which is like, I don't know, like ten to $13,000 a year. Um, who's living on that uh, in New York City with a family? Uh, besides the fact that these are illnesses that they, that they got in the line of duty serving the city under the under the pretense that the air was safe to breathe which is even more ridiculous so yeah ems gets uh you know they they it's unfortunate and i hope hope somebody really does fix it but it's not right uh, but like you said it, i think it takes uh it, it's up to us right it's up to yeah. um you know, the politicians weren't coming by after 9-11 and saying, you know what, these guys are getting sick. Let's make sure they're taken care of. We had to complain about it. We had to point out what was happening right. um, for anything to happen there. Same thing with the bunker gear, right? No one's no one <laughs> is saying, hey, are we sure this bunker gear is good for, for, for the members? Um, no, it, it had to be people pointing out like, all right, we're getting sick. Why are we getting sick? EMTs, like they're, they're talking about it. They're saying we're not getting paid enough. They're, they're ignoring some of these guys who are, uh, you know, getting sick with 9-11 issues. Um, they have to step up. We have to step up, right? And it really is, it's the uh, um, immunity, there is strength, right? It, you, you have to, it has to be all of us getting together. I, I've always said EMT should be marching, right? They should be protesting. They mm-hmm. should they should be making noise, and then they should have firefighters backing them up. They should have cops backing them up. They should have sanitation backing them up. Everybody should be in on this to to, to help take care of our brothers and sisters in in EMS. Yeah, it's something but, that needs to be done. Like we said earlier, they. <laughs> They, they they try to create division amongst us for that reason, for negotiations. You know, they t- let's let's turn the police and fire against each other because that's always worked in the past. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, things, you know, about firsthand. Um, so I, I think that's what they do. I think that's, you know, and 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 they turn. Yeah. They turn us against them, them against us, and then there's no unity. And so when they they have their marches, they're like, "Ah, oh, well, we're not going to go help." When everyone should be there, it should it shouldn't yeah, be. Uh, sure. You're right. Um, I don't know. I don't know how we fix that, but uh, besides yelling, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I just, I just if you're a firefighter out there, their fight is your fight. That would be my advice. Um, you know. We really, it's a cliche, but we really are all in this together where we should be. As we saw with COVID, right? I mean, they, nobody had the proper PPE in New York City, right? There are no masks, uh, gloves, everything. They were short on everything. Eyewear, um, which I think is why you're seeing the hesitancy from the members now with the vaccine and all that. Because in the beginning, you, if it was such a big deal, why did why were we getting one mask to wear for an entire tour? You know, like, so I get it. You yeah. know, you, you, you treated us like we didn't matter then. And, and now, I don't know. I get it. Oh, I, I get it. I, I, I get, you know, any distrust or skepticism towards the, the government. Um, I get it all. I, I do. Right. I, like people don't want a, a vaccine. Who trusts the pharmaceutical companies? Who, who right. trusts the government? The same government that that can lie to the firefighters uh, about the air quality at Ground Zero. You know they're capable of lying about a lot of things. You know they right. they, they lie about right. weapons of mass destruction in in, in Iraq. Um, th- 
these people can lie about anything as long as it makes you know them look okay or or, or yes, sell their agenda or sell their uh, promote their campaign, whatever it is. These people are capable of lying about everything, and all of them, all of them. I there's exactly, and I think they in the beginning of 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 COVID, they did a horrible job with contradicting themselves and the constant, you know. Uh, conflicting information and you know you can't blame people for being skeptical um you know i personally i'm vaccinated you know i don't look at it that way i'm just trying to protect myself the best way i can but i get why people are are skeptical of it i mean oh i get it sure sure no i i'm vaccinated and but I've always been wary of vaccines, right? When I when I had children, I I read up everything I could about vaccines, right? There's always been this anti-vaxxer movement going on, at least for, for the last 20 years or so. Um, Did you come so across any of I, your friends with swollen testicles or no? What's that? Did you come across any friends with swollen testicles or no? No, I, oh, right, I haven't. Um but I was convinced by a doctor to have your children vaccinated. All right, okay. All right. Everything went okay. Um, as COVID happens, they come out with a vaccine and I'm skeptical, right? I, I, I wanted them to, I wanted to see, I wanted to wait a while right. to see how things went, you know, let them test it out on the cops or something. Um, <laughs> and then he's, kidding, he's kidding. He's kidding. <laughs> um, no, but, but so I, I was I was hesitant. And then a friend of mine on the job, he uh, he convinced me, you know, he, he, I do have a certain amount of uh, trust in the FDNY doctors. Um, right. I always felt that when you went down to the medical office with some kind of injury, they were they were looking out for your health. Right. They weren't going to send you back to the firehouse if you were sick. Um, and they were going to give you the best advice to on how to get better. So that's where I said, if the fire department doctors are telling all the guys to get this vaccine, then I, I'm going to trust it. Um, right. knock on wood, everything was fine, um, for me, but I do understand not wanting to get it. I certainly understand that, you know, I, and I feel it's only because of my trust of FDNY doctors in particular, why I did get the vaccine when I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when they come down with some kind of mandate, you know, where, where you have to get it. I don't like the government telling me I have to do anything. I really I really don't. Unless it's a firefighter knocking on my door saying your house is on fire, get out of the house. Um you know, I don't I don't want to hear anything from the government on on what to do that you have to do. Right. Uh, it's, you know, I, I'm. Right. Well, I mean, we we because they've given us many, uh, many instances where they've proven that they don't care about our health. <laughs> um, so, well, you know, well, the politicians don't. They right. really don't. Right. They, they just no. They like using us as a prop. They like using the military as a prop, right. um, whatever it is. But uh, when it comes down to it, they certainly don't care about our health. Uh, but I think an FDNY doctor actually does. Right. I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I didn't I didn't need as much convincing as you. Um, I'm willing to to uh, be the guinea pig, so to speak. Um, so, I, you know, I got I got it right away. Also, I just wanted to get out of my basement, but I have to say, um, yeah, I've never said this publicly, but I had COVID before, you know, at the very beginning and I got breakthrough COVID, um, very recently, um, right around the time I started this show. Um, you'll probably see it in a couple episodes, but I have to say it was way worse the first time I had it. Um, and so, you know, did the vaccine prevent me from getting it? Obviously not. Um, but but I didn't feel any anywhere near the way I felt, you know, last year. So, you know, that's my experience. Um, 
you know, I'm glad that I didn't end up in the hospital and I, 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 I don't know if I would have, um, but I was, I actually ended up in, it's weird when you look back, like I ended up going to the hospital, but not, not staying there. I, they didn't know what COVID was at the time. I was just having these weird issues and I went to a hospital and ended up going home. But so anyway, it worked for me. Um, you know, that's all we can do. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, no, it's, <laughs> it's worked for me too. Me and my family and, uh, you know, we're, we're healthy and, and, and I mean, do I, do I give credit to the vaccine for doing that? I don't know. I, you know, yeah. hopefully it's helping. I really do. Um, right. That's the way I look at it. More than it's hurting. I think about the doctors and, and the, the scientists actually doing this work. And I have to believe that, that people spending their whole lives to do this, uh, you know, they've been working on this vaccine for longer than a year. I mean, they've been working on the coronavirus vaccine for over a decade, you know? Um, you know, not this strain or whatever, but, you know, I have to believe their heart's in the right place. If if we don't, if we can't believe in that, you know, then there's not much left we could believe in, you know? Well, I, the thing is, right, we're, we're firefighters, right? Um, I wasn't much of a student. Um, I'm certainly not a scientist or a doctor. So we have to trust people, right, for certain right. things, right? So when we're working down at Ground Zero, 2001, um, we had to trust people telling us what was going on, but they lied to us. So obviously that, that trust was, uh, you know, was broken in that situation. We wear bunker gear to go into burning buildings. You know, we trust that they're giving us gear that isn't going to make us sick. Um, and they lied about that, right? Or they're lying about it now. Well, I, I think they, it's a lie by omission. At this yes. Point. Yes. Um, so you you do have to trust somebody somewhere along the way, right? right? And that's why I fall back to the fire department doctors. If they're if they're saying, um, you know, how to treat a certain illness, that's how you treat it. If they're, if they're telling right. you uh, to get a vaccine that that'll that'll help out, I trusted them. Um, and I still and they they were sounding the alarm in two thousand one. You know, so they. Yes. To your yes. point, we're all over the 9-11 illnesses. Um, yeah. You Dr. Kelly and Dr. Brzez, that's why they started our our World Trade Center Health Program is the basis for the national program, you know, from all the things they've learned over the years, the phone company fire and all that yep. happy stuff, um, which is worth, uh, if you're a firefighter out there, read up on the New York Telephone Company fire. I think it was 75, somewhere in the 70s. Um, you're seeing something similar to 9-11, you know, where where I think a majority, if not most, of the firefighters who responded ended up dying from cancer um, from the PCBs. Uh, so for you firefighters out there, that is a good one to read up on. Um, also stresses the importance of, oh, there's your kitty, of uh, wearing your mask. Um, as Jim and I got into last week, um, so... Yeah, wear your mask. It always makes me laugh with the, uh, you know, these days, right? People say, wear your mask, or there's people complaining, saying, don't wear your mask. And it sounds like the fire department when I first got on in the 90s. You know, there was still the older guys that would, I remember an old time of telling me, like, kid, you you can wear your mask if you want to. He's like, you know, if you feel you, you have to. But when you're with me, you don't have to wear it. And it just... So I listened to him, you know, and I tried to be a tough guy. All right, I'll try, you know, be able to deal with this smoke as as much smoke as I could. Um, but obviously, that was bad advice, right? Right. Um, so and that's exactly what I, I said saw, to Jim last week. Yeah, that's what needs yeah. to change is that type of advice. Sorry. And the good news is, I think it is changing a little bit. Yeah. Um, before I retired, all the young guys they they were pretty uh pretty good wearing their masks all the time you know obviously you're taking it off probably a little sooner than you should at times mm -hmm. but but these guys these guys were good and uh and i and i was still a dummy even in my last couple of years where i you know i i felt like i need to see so i would take it off or whatever it would be um 
but I think the younger guys are getting better at something like that. So, um, yeah, it is okay. important though. That that makes me think. Like, my, brings me to my next question. Um, I, I asked my brother; he kind of skirted the question. But is there a huge difference in going to fires when you're an officer as opposed to being a firefighter? Like, did you, uh, you know, we, we, which did you like better? Was it, you know, was it harder being in charge? Um, no, I. I loved it. I, I, you know, I, I love being a firefighter also. I, <laughs> um, but I, I did, I did like being an officer, right? Because you, you know, you weren't, uh, you can get off the line a little bit. If you're you know, moving in with the line, you could do a little bit of a search. Um, I, I, yeah, I definitely, I liked it. I don't think that it was easier physically because uh, you weren't, you know, humping a hose or you weren't, you know, carrying a whole bunch of tools. Um, yeah, no, I, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got it. Did you miss it? Like, I mean, we both know there's nothing better than than uh, putting the fire out. You, you had to miss that a little bit, no? Yeah. Did you, try to, did you try to, you know, shut somebody's air off once in a while and grab the line? <laughs> Where are those guys? I got it a few times. Uh, oh, yeah? I didn't have to cut off anybody's hair, but the guy, the guys let me use it every once in a while. It was, uh, I was, yeah, you missed that part of it, sure. But... All right. I always wondered that because I, I could see it. I had my 20th reunion last week and you could totally tell the guys who became officers and uh, the guys who didn't, you know, they kind of, I don't know, my brother put it, put it this way. When, uh, when he first got promoted, he said, uh, what used to be funny, isn't so funny anymore. And that's kind of the <laughs> well, feeling I got from these guys. Like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a little well, you, get, you get old and cranky, right? When you're a firefighter, yeah, you, you could stay up in the firehouse and, and make some noise or play, you know, play some games or whatever it, you would do. And as I got older, I got cranky. I'd open the door and say, keep it down out there, you know, or, or something like that. I, yeah, it, it's a change. Sure. All right. Well, let's go back to 216 for a second. Cause, uh, we didn't really talk about it much. Um, we had, uh, Bill Whelan, right. Legend. Um, he also had a very tragic story. Um, which played out in the firehouse, right? Which was, had to be weird. I caught the end of Bill's career. So I got a much lighter Bill Whalen, but um, yeah, I won't tell his story, but he had a, a very dark family tragedy, um, but he was a great senior man. I thought uh, he really took care of me. Um, we had Warren, right? Who else did, who else did you, uh, did you look up to there? I mean, Danny Sir, Dan, uh, yeah. was, uh, Kenny Collins, it was Mike Higgins. Uh, there was, uh, there were a whole bunch of about Mike Higgins, yeah. it, it was an interesting firehouse in, in, in that they were really senior guys, right. With almost 30 years on like Bill Whalen and, and Warren Ward. Um, and then you had 20 year guys and then you had 15 year guys. And then you had guys like Danny Sir with around 12 years, I think, uh, when I got there. Um, and you had guys with five years. So you just had all these different amounts of fire experience to learn from, you know, and yeah. And you had the 30 year Bill Whaling as into the job as the, you know, as the young fireman. It, it was I, I always felt really lucky to be able to go to a firehouse like that and, and learn from, from people. It was, uh, it was a great sure. experience. That I, I thought was one, one of the most senior firehouses I, I can remember. Uh, certainly when I first got there. Right. I, I mean, not time-wise, but age-wise, when I got assigned to 216, the closest guy to me in age was 15 years older than me. Uh, Ducey. Um, so that was a little weird, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know how much older than you are to me, but he was the next guy up for me, um, which I thought was weird. 
he also drove uh, members of 216 to school in the school bus at one point. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, but yeah, and I think that's that's another thing that tool, that 9-11 took from us, right? Um, not just the members that were killed, but just naturally all the retirements and and all those years of, of hiring made the job a lot younger. Um, so I think maybe 10 years from now, you're going to see the same thing happen again, you know, but right now it seems to be like a bit of a gap, right? I don't know. Um, yeah, but the job has always dealt with that. You know, you would have years of, uh, I remember for a while, um, the job didn't hire for a whole bunch of years, right? And no, actually it went crazy hiring, right? So we, we were getting, I remember my firehouse had like 10 guys with under two years on the job. Um, and it, it, you know, it would worry me sometimes during that time. But then five years later, they they didn't hire for a while, and and then we had a whole bunch of guys with a little time on. So where I thought it was good for the job. Um, I think you're always going to get those kinds of things. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for teaching me to speak out. And uh, you're going to be speaking out with me again coming up soon. So uh, pack your bags. All right. Be well. Keep enjoying Sounds your good. retirement. I'm with you. All right. Thanks for having me, cat. Say goodbye to the cat for me. <laughs> hey guys, and welcome back to Frankie's Firehouse Feast. Today we are making my Uncle Andy's shepherd pie. To make the mashed potatoes, get five pounds of skinned russet potatoes, half a cup of heavy cream, half a cup of milk, one stick of butter, and salt and pepper to taste. Cut the potatoes into four long ways and place it in a pot and fill with water enough to cover the potatoes. Bring it to a boil and once boiling, lower the heat, cover it and let it simmer for 15 to 20 minutes. Then strain it in a strainer. Add the milk, cream and butter to the pan on low heat when the butter is melted. Add the potatoes back to the pot. Add salt and pepper, Mash it with a potato masher until there are no lumps, and you can add milk or cream to your liking. Now we can begin making the shepherd's pie. Add salt and pepper to either cubed pieces of lamb or ground beef, whichever you prefer. Saute in butter with chopped onions. After the meat is browned, add half a can of Guinness and let the liquid boil down and add chopped carrots and peas. Soften the veggies and then scoop everything into either a 4-inch deep baking pan or you can put it in a frozen pie crust. Top the meat mixture with 2 inches of the mashed potatoes. Then bake it in an oven at 345 degrees for half an hour. Let it cool for 10 minutes and then serve. Chow's on! Well, thank you, Frankie. It's nice to see you finally embracing your Irish side. Speaking of which, thanks to Mike McCaffrey for coming on. You've always been my type of crazy dude. I appreciate you. Keep trucking. I didn't intend for vaccines or my battle with COVID to come up in this conversation. It just kind of happened. Um, but I'm glad it did. You know, it's it hasn't been easy. Um, it's been uh, several weeks now, over a month. Um, and I still don't really feel very well. Uh, and, you know, I, I wasn't officially diagnosed with it the last time. They always say that, you know, if you think you had COVID and uh, you weren't diagnosed before it came out, you know, you didn't. Um, but now that I've had it officially, I know that it's what I had last year. Um, and it was terrible. And I spent the whole year dealing with lung issues and trouble breathing. Um, that's been my experience. And this second bout has not been fun. Um, like I said in the interview, I really think the vaccine helped me. Um, and this is the last I'm going to say about it. Um, you know, I think it's sad that we've gotten to the point where we've gotten, and I think it's associated to what I said in the intro, you know, people just don't seem to care enough about each other anymore. Um, and that's the sad thing, you know, it's turned into this whole fight where people are more concerned with being right on the internet than they are about doing the right thing. 
you know, and I don't think we're going to survive um, as a society if we don't care about each other more, um, if we don't actually care about what happens to one another. That's what I believe. Um, everyone's entitled to believe in what they believe in. And that's the last I'm going to say on it. Today's senior man tip comes from FDNY firefighter Andy Fredericks of Squad Company 18. If you put the fire out right in the first place, you won't have to jump out the window. Subscribe now at staylow.us. Be sure to leave us five stars. You can join the squad at patreon.com slash the firefighters podcast. But most importantly, let's treat each other a little bit better. Let's care a little bit more about our actions and how they affect other people. But most importantly, stay low, my friends.